Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances, the podcast where we take you down the rabbit hole into the fascinating world of the strange, the paranormal, and the unknown, I'm Morgan Knutson. And I'm Mike Brown. It's time to dim the lights and settle in. Come along with us on this week's adventure. Oh my goodness. So we're talking with Lloyd Auerbach again, but this time about the USS Hornet, which is super fascinating. I'm so, I was so into uh, learning about this. It's really, really cool. I know, me too. It really is the quintessential ghost ship story. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, here we have this this massive military vessel that I mean, it's got such an incredible history with the the damage that this thing has done in war, and the ghosts that have kind of come around and and followed and followed it. Like it's it's really interesting, and and the relationship that the staff has now with the spirits that are there is phenomenal. Yeah, so this was a former warship that is now essentially a museum, and people can stay overnight on it and all that kind of stuff. I found a really cool webpage online where people are talking about or encouraged to give their stories in particular about hauntings on the USS Hornet. And this one guy, Bo Mosier, says, my dad was laying in his rack and a guy walked up to him and told him, I used to sleep there. And walked away, and he never saw him again after that. So, that's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was haunted even while it was in operation with the U.S. Navy, which is what it was amazing. And and I think people get the impression often because of stories and and shows and things like that that abandoned things are the things that are the most haunted, and that's just mm. not true. You know, no, and, yeah, and we we've seen this again and again. And here you've got a, a situation where you have a ship that had a lot of people. There was a lot of emotion going on. Uh, you know, you had some high energy events, and it's really the perfect formula for a really cool haunted ghost ship. Yeah, another story is from Stephanie Egbert. Recently, my husband and son stayed on a ship during a Boy Scout outing, so they were on the Hornet overnight, and her sons went through a hallway of many lockers, and they were exploring around a little bit. But when they returned, all the lockers which had been closed were open. Hmm. So a few of the adults who were on the ship with the kids heard the lockers opening, and they thought it was just the boys doing it. But the boys said, no, it, we didn't do it. Somebody else did it. So It's so cool. It's yeah. just so cool. And and it's this type of, of story that I really love because it, it really shows the fact that there's such a relationship between the non-physical and the physical now. And mm-hmm. so many of these stories around the USS Hornet, to me, are such great examples of this. You know, here you've got a, a, a staff that has really opened their hearts to what this place has to offer and honor the intelligences that are there. And mm-hmm. that, to me, is phenomenal. And what we hope that people do, that people embrace this stuff, it's so important. Yeah. Well, let's get to our conversation with Lloyd, because it's going to be a good one. Oh, is it ever. Here we go. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy 
So this is great because this is such a, a fascinating and unique case. And Lloyd, thank you so much for coming on today and explaining out all of this for, for everybody because it's, this is a, a story that's really captured my imagination for a lot of years. So thank you so much for coming. Sure. So let's set the stage for those who have not heard of the USS Hornet, for those who have not been on the decks of of this ship. Tell us a little bit about this ship. What what can people be picturing in their mind? The USS Hornet CB-12 is a World War II era aircraft carrier. It was launched in 1943, the very beginning 1943. Actually, it was originally supposed to be called the Kearsage, but when the previous USS Hornet, the CB-8, was sunk in the Battle of Midway the year before, they scrapped the Kearsage name and slapped the Hornet name on it. Uh, partly because there had been a Hornet in the Navy since the Revolutionary War. The first two ships we had in the Continental Army were the Hornet and the Wasp. Today, the Hornets are aircraft for the U.S. Navy, in fact. So this ship was a lead ship of the Pacific Fleet during the 1940s, during all of World War II. It continued in service through the Korean conflict and the Vietnam War. It was the ship that picked up Apollo 11 and 12 when those spacecraft returned back to Earth. So it was 1969. 1970, and 1970 is when the ship was actually decommissioned. It sat in a couple different shipyards, eventually ending up the Bremerton shipyards up in Washington State. And then during the Clinton administration, when they were closing a lot of bases around the world, the Alameda Air Naval Base here in the Bay Area was being shut down. And as part of the ceremony, because the Hornet was the most famous ship to have been docked here, stationed here during World War II, they brought the ship down from Bremerton. Uh, which is a good thing because the ship was slated to be scrapped for $6 a ton otherwise. Once it was here, a group got together and formed a foundation to support the ship and turn it into a museum. Hmm. So the, the blessing of the U.S. Navy and some money, some little money, they were able to lease the ship actually basically from the Navy and have it uh, docked at the old naval base, which is now, be, it's currently actually, there's a lot of development going on for apartments and parks and things like that. Pretty industrial otherwise. So in, they worked on it from the, when they got permission, which was apparently late, I think it was late 1995. They intended to open it as a museum, uh, but there was a lot of work that had to be done for a few years because of lead paint, asbestos, and other similar toxic substances on the ship. Uh, and eventually it opened up in 1998. Um, I got involved very end of 1998, 90, early 99. It's when I first started going to the ship, but towards the end of 1998, I was involved because um, I got a call from a psychic named Stash Mar Margaret Murray, okay, who was, interestingly enough, uh, a former employee of Genentech in data analysis, who had been convinced by her, her fellow employees that she was better served um, doing readings and doing psychic stuff because she'd been doing that for them for 20 years, you know, on the side. So one of her clients, actually, outside of Genentech, was one of the folks who worked aboard the ship, who had issues with a ghost. So what happened was, and I got the story from Stas, she, she actually came on a case with me. She consulted with me on a poltergeist case. And then she decided, when she was on this case with me, she'd already vetted me. You know, I was vetting her as a psychic. Right. Generally, she vetted me and said, oh, by the way, I have something you might be interested in. And started telling him about the Hornet. So during the time that they were painting and scraping and cleaning up the ship. Uh, there were a couple of guys who were living aboard volunteers. So live aboard volunteers. I just simply called them liveaboards. And there were a number of other volunteers, of course, working throughout the ship. And they started uh, talking about having experiences, not just by themselves, but also with a number of other volunteers throughout the ship as they were cleaning it up. And these were experiences that include visual sightings of apparitions, as well as the sense of being stared at while, you know, which has made them turn around and see these apparitions. Mm -hmm. Sure. And then also occasionally auditory things that had no visible anything connected to it, but seemed to react in a very intelligent or conscious way. Um, so, and th the fact that these were multiple witness very often, you know, at least two people, if not more than that, it was itself very interesting. 
So I was uh, brought aboard the ship. Uh, um, she basically introduced me to, to several people in the foundation office and the board, um, giving my background to them previously so that they would be okay with me coming on. And also noting that at that time, we weren't going to talk about the investigation or what we found. After the first visit I've made, and I talked to a number of the witnesses, I brought aboard a friend of mine who was working with me on cases, who was a videographer. Uh, we had pitched to them the idea of doing a documentary or two to help the ship. Because one of the things they really were interested in was what if this topic, and this is the late 90s, mind you, yeah, if this topic could bring more people to the museum, which would, of course, help support them financially as well. It was never going to be the major, because the history is the major topic. They have a little Apollo museum for the Apollo 11 and 12 there on the ship as well. Right. So I brought David Richardson along with me, and we started video recording all of these interviews with people. So we did a lot of interviews, um, which ended up, many of which had clips that ended up in a documentary, a first part of a documentary series we did. Uh, we never got to the second part or further for a couple of reasons. Something at reality TV screwed up for us. Oh, no. Anyway, the impressive thing about the Hornet, so many impressive things, is that the sailors and officers who have been seen do react to people Many, many docents to this day actually have experiences or have had those experiences, not communicative experiences, but they tend to be, you know, very kind of acknowledging the military, the naval history and acknowledging that status. So it seems that many of the apparitions were sailors defer to one of the top officers. J.J. Uh, Clark, who was a commander aboard the ship during World War II, was one of the few, very, very few identified apparitions. He did not die aboard the Hornet. And this is a key element here. Well, that's interesting. Uh, there may be a few people who died aboard the Hornet during the wars, the various the period. Uh, and by the way, the Hornet's a ship with some of the fewest number of deaths. It was like 140 or something like that. It's a total of 340, approximately, th I think it's 343. It may not be that exact. Oh, geez. Over that entire period. And the ship had the most attempted enemy attacks on it without being hit during World War II. Oh, man. Hmm. With many of the folks who were around, uh, some of the docents were around at that time. When I first started going there, there were some 80-plus-year-old docents who had served aboard the Hornet. Wow. During World War II. Um, and they said that they always felt that, the, the not that they ever saw them, but they felt the spirits of the previous Hornet that had been sunk by the Japanese in a Battle of Midway, that they were protecting this ship. Interesting. Wow. That's that ever cool. There was, there was kind of a feel of that. And the ship, I got to say, the ship, it, it feels like it's got its own spirit. I mean, people talk about that all the time. Yeah. And the ship has this sense that it, it's really, you know, more than just history. It's got a sense that when you walk up to it, it's smiling at you. Yeah. It's, I don't say that it's intelligent, but it's, you get this kind of real positive feeling about the ship in general. Oh, that's wonderful. I I know exactly the feeling that, that you're talking about, but not with this specific ship, but I've, I've had that experience too, where you come into a space and it's almost like the space in and of itself is alive. Like it's, yeah, it's aware yeah. that you're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, there's a lot of naval belief and tradition that ships have their own spirits. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, that's that. Yeah. That gives me, that gives me goosebumps. I think that's, it's, it's a, such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful notion. And and I, I know as well, as I was kind of researching and digging into this, uh, it was also known as the Grey Ghost as well. And that had a right. couple of yeah, a couple of meanings. I know the operational call sign was was the Grey Ghost, but it was also due to exactly what you said, these the volunteers and these staff members that were experiencing this stuff, um, which is which is really to me is is just unique. Like the fact that it's it's kept that name. Yeah, yeah. It was called Grey Ghost. That was a call sign during World War Two and it just fits the ship so well especially today. I mean, not that there are other haunted ships um, like, you know, the Intrepid in New York and some other ships that supposedly are, are haunted as well. It's just the, the Hornet is pretty unique in a lot of ways because of the interactions that people have reported with these sailors, officers, and actually other people as well on the ship. Yeah. And I know this, this ship specifically, like you had mentioned it earlier, it was, it was really a beast. I mean, this thing was often decommissioned and then it was every time it was built up, it just seemed like they were just adding and adding and adding new technology to this thing. And Correct. like it was, it just seemed like if the enemy saw this thing coming, you'd be, you'd be hiding under your bed pretty quick. 
<laughs> well, hopefully that was the case. Now, one of the interesting things about talking about adding to it, back during the 1950s, a typhoon um, broke the flight deck. Essentially, um, aircraft carriers, before this happened to the Hornet, the forecastle or forecastle of the ship, which is the front end of the ship, you know, where the anchor chain goes out. Yeah. It was open. It was an open space. It didn't. It wasn't an enclosed area. But um, when this, the winds were so bad that apparently it broke the deck up, and so after that they enclosed it for aerodynamic perspective, mm-hmm. and apparently same thing for other ships too. The more I, I dug into this, the more fascinated I was just with the the ship itself and and the mechanics of this thing and the amount of battles that it saw over over the years. And the, like you were saying, it's so interesting that there was so few people that passed away considering what this this ship actually went through mm-hmm. but exactly. you, you get involved in this thing and you're you know you're coming into this were you did you have any expectations coming into this like were you a little bit skeptical what what was your initial thoughts when you were asked to go well you know she stasha told me there were a lot of witnesses uh the one person who had wanted her uh stasha actually do something and which is why i was coming aboard to help had said that she was down in the brig area and there was incredible sadness and pain and, and that's what she was feeling and she saw um, a Japanese soldier down there. This is what the the woman from the foundation saw. So this was not necessarily a horrible thing for her personally, but she felt very bad for the spirit. Um, as it turned out, because she did some research, the, there was a captured kamikaze pilot who committed suicide in the brig because that's one of the things that's really interesting. Again, the ship had, um, again, the uh, most attempted enemy attacks, but also shot down more enemy planes than any ship in the Pacific fleet. Their pilots were the most, the best, I guess you could say, at what they did. And so Stosh had done a, specifically a Japanese ceremony. She had checked into um, the Japanese culture and Buddhist and Shinto religions, just in case, and performed a ceremony that had been directed by someone, I think it was a Buddhist priest, to help the spirit pass on. She got the impression that he, you know, he just didn't want to be there, but he had killed himself and that's where he thought he should be. Uh, so I, I never, I went down to the brig. Again, you feel the sadness. It's something you feel emotion, whether there's a spirit there or not. If people leave emotion behind. Sure. Uh, but when she had gone on to do this, she had encountered these other spirits of these officers and other folks who she immediately, when she communicated with a couple of them, they weren't from, I mean, they didn't die on the ship is what they had told her. So my expectation after being told this coming on was, I didn't know what to think, honestly, mm. yeah. except the fact that Stash was, I'd already vetted her, like I said, in a couple of other cases. She had a real scientific mind, even for her own impressions and experiences that she had analyzing, overanalyzing sometimes what she was getting. And the, the chief witnesses I talked to were ex-Navy or ex-Coast Guard. No, for the most part, which itself is pretty interesting. One of the guys who was live aboard had actually worked, had been uh, serving aboard the ship during the Apollo era. So he was there when they actually brought Apollo 11 on the ship. Um, he had some other interesting stories about that. But these guys were straight shooters. Um, one of them was the former Navy SEAL who, as he was telling us his story, he stated right up front, I don't know if I believe in ghosts or not. Mm. But here's what happened. And he had another witness with him at the time it happened. Uh, and it was one of a couple of experiences he had. And uh, one of the witnesses who was the marketing director, uh, former uh, commander in the Coast Guard, and the same thing. He's like, you know, I, I kind of believe in ghosts, but I have to believe in ghosts now because here's what happened. Wow. And his wife also had experiences with that. And what, they, what the interesting was, thing as I'm talking to some of these folks, is that there were some issues with some of the board members, foundation board members, um, early on. And what I was told was some actions, perhaps associated with the ghosts, not the ghosts themselves, but some really interesting coincidences happened to make sure that those specific people quit the board. Oh, geez. So, <laughs> you know, little things like that, it made it a more interesting textured, you know, tapestry of, of thing of events and things, uh, so that that's piece a part of it. Also, we we had a couple of negative experiences, not in the way that people think about them from reality TV or ghost stories, but there was one um, woman who was a receptionist in the in the office down in the a uh, couple decks below, 
she was saw a sailor's ghost and felt and he came towards her and hugged her inappropriately apparently <laughs> yikes <laughs> a creepy gropey ghost he liked her apparently and a little too much so she she didn't know what to do and she talked to stash stash called me and i said well you know stash you've talked to to admiral clark he was an admiral when he re- when he retired and when he passed away uh let's find admiral clark and see if we can get a little um chain of command going on and so i sat with stash in these quarters where clark had actually been uh, billeted during uh, the period he was on the ship. She's talking ostensibly to Clark. I certainly didn't see him. We're explaining the situation. And and she said, so Lloyd, what do you want to do? So Admiral Clark, I would appreciate it if through the chain of command, you tell this particular sailor to leave her Daphne alone. Stay away from her. So we didn't tell Daphne that we're even going to do this. The next morning, I get a call from her saying, do you guys do something? Oh, no. Your last time? <laughs> Because he's standing about 100 feet away from me, and he won't come near me, but he looks very unhappy. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we had little things like that where we could interact uh, or have Stash or someone else interact and then have someone else who didn't know what the interaction was tell us something happened. And that in itself, again, this made it really an interesting situation. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. And, And over time... Um, I visited quite a bit. I don't go back there that often these days, but especially since the pandemic. But over time, I worked with Annette Martin, who was another psychic medium that I worked with for many years until she passed away in 2011. And she did a lot of work with me on the Hornet as well. And I had a couple of other folks I would bring with me too. Um, uh, interestingly enough, I brought my wife and some friends on the ship at one point. And one of the things that did happen to women quite often on the ship, I think they've cooled it at this point because we... We made it known to the top people, the head officers, this was inappropriate. But women would often talk about being goosed. Oh, geez. Oh, no. Especially coming out of the ladies' room, they'd be goosed, um, which used to be an engine repair shop because there was never a women's room on the ship to begin with. Um, and my wife um, was, you know, was goosed. And actually, I was there with some friends. Another time, <laughs> we were doing a little experiment where they didn't even know where the phenomenon was happening. If we're rocking through, and I was standing or walking next to a good friend of mine. His wife was about six feet ahead of us. And she reacted like something had happened, like for spirit. She moved that way. And she turned around and looked at the two of us like we had done something. <laughs> so, you know, there are things like that that had, had happened um, over time. Nothing negative um, other than Daphne being inappropriately touched or hugged, I should say. Uh, but it really based on descriptions from the various docents I talked to, the volunteers that I talked to who experienced things, occasionally people who had come aboard the ship and wondered about the sailor or officer they saw in such and such a location when it was very clear there was nobody there um, and no one's supposed to be there at all. That really gave us the idea that from the descriptions, there was, there was at least you know four, four or five dozen spirits or apparitions on the ship. Wow. Over t- and we even had situations where a couple of the docents passed away. And later on, I was told by the docents um, that were still living that their buddy had come back. Um, their buddy had served aboard that ship or another ship, and they came back after they died to join the party, more or less. That's what I was told. You know, they're there to support the ship and the history of the ship. And that's why 80-year-old docents would be on that ship at all, is because of their fond memories or their connection to that particular ship. I, I love this because you know this is the side of the paranormal. Like that, and Mike and I, we were talking about this a, a couple of episodes ago that we just love, which is the the positive, fun mm-hmm. nature of this stuff that just doesn't get touched on very often. And uh, a few episodes ago, we uh, talked to uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Crystal Anthony, about her home, this historical home in Alabama, and how the the spirits and the entities there were so utterly helpful, and they, they just made their life so much more full. And I love this about this ship, too, is the fact that it just, I mean, even as you're talking about it, it's just oozing positivity. Like, nobody can see this, but I've got a huge smile on my face right now. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> And I just I I love I love that aspect about it that that this is so celebratory and it becomes or seems to be becoming a place afterwards that people just want to be at 
which I yeah. think is a, is wonderful. Yeah, you know, there, the fact is that television tends not to show, well, look at the news. They don't right. show good stories. Exactly. Because that's not what grabs people viscerally, emotionally, or otherwise. With reality shows, they're, they're directed at negativity or, you know, spooky stuff. Just like before reality shows, every news station everywhere at Halloween would do spooky stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get people's attention. And it's about ratings, you know, that it's a completely different situation. But the fact is that there are more positive experience with apparitions, with ghosts, uh, than, and even hauntings and, you know, the, the residual stuff, then there are negative. It's just that part of this is you don't call for help when you have something positive. In your home, right? Yeah. So if you're experiencing something you perceive as negative, even if it's not, because very often these things are just misunderstood. Um, you don't call for help unless you happen to be curious enough to call somebody like me and say, Hey, you want to come out and check this out? We, we got a ghost here and he's kind of fun and you might get, learn something from us and we would learn something from you. I'm frankly yeah. more interested in that kind of thing than, than the spooky stuff. I've had enough of the stuff on discovery and all that kind of thing. I'm way yeah. more interested in what we're talking about here. Well, the best thing about the the real positive experiences is that people are, you know, when you talk to them, they're willing to talk about it. They're willing to have real looks at what's going on. Uh, you know, we don't do investigations and parapsychological work in the dark, and it makes no sense in any way, shape, or form, um, other than from a TV perspective when you have night shot. That's just to make it spooky. That's the only sense it makes, <laughs> otherwise. Um, except in those very rare occurrences where ghosts somehow rake people up in the middle of the night, which almost never happens. So it, it's just that people, you know, ghosts are people too. That's kind of my tagline. I've been using it for a long time. Uh, there are good people. There are not so good people, more like, you know, bullies and really arrogant people. And poss- you know, I don't know whether somebody who's a nas- narcissist when they're alive sticks around at all, mm. but the odds are they're going to still be a narcissist. Sure. So you have people you can't get along with when they're alive. You may not get along with them when they're dead. Um, and that's just because personality doesn't seem to change at all. But the very idea that, you know, there are very negative spir- people out there, negative spirits out there, just hasn't been borne out by people's experiences that we've seen with the rarest exception. And sometimes it, it's, it's brought on themselves, frankly. Yeah, that's what I found. You just hit that at the end there. Is that I've what I've learned over the years is that oftentimes when people are experiencing these these horrendous negative cases, it is such a direct reflection of their own whatever they're kind of putting out there, wherever they're sitting emotionally, and right. it's it's it, it shocks people I think because we're we're so fed this idea by the the TV shows and stuff like that, that this stuff is asserted on us, that we have no responsibility in it whatsoever. And it's like, it, that's just not true of anything in our world. Our, our, you know, we are, we're interacting with our environment, with our, with our emotions, right. with our energy, all of that. And you brought up something earlier that I, I really want to go back to. And, and that is that people do leave behind emotions when they're in a place. And I think that is... That's that's a piece that often doesn't get recognized. Can can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know when we are looking at people's experiences for an investigation or just in general talking to them, um, the idea of an apparition or a consciousness after death requires that there's interaction. But the majority of experiences people report, even if they see figures walking down the hallway or footsteps that they hear, they reflect activity of the living in a previous time. They don't reflect that there is a conscious apparition. There are there are patterns. They repeat themselves over and over again. And in past days, you know, decades and centuries ago, uh, those patterns were considered to be an actual spirit that was cursed to do the same thing over and over again or doomed mm-hmm. to repeat their motions. And that's like saying that Humphrey Bogart's still alive because we keep playing the Mount Maltese Falcon right. and to repeat his, his activity over and over again. Um. You know, and that's the other side of this. We look at this uh, this kind of stuff as as recordings. Emotions are recorded much, or let's say the emotions that are in an environment that we leave behind are easier for people to pick up. This really, we we pick that stuff up 
much more easily psychically. And so, cause we're all a little psychic. So it's, it's the idea of the stone type, stone tape theory that you're talking about. That, that's yeah. Although we know that there, that, uh, the kind of, uh, the specifics of the stone tape theory don't hold across the world in yeah. every single location. Yeah. Uh, we tend to look at it more of the, some kind of field theory that there's either the earth's magnetic field or some other field is holding information that we're able to tap into. There's even a biological geophysical um, I, a hypothesis that we haven't been able to test because we don't have any money for it. <laughs> um, but it, the fact, the issue is if I, the most commonly experienced example of this is when you go house hunting or apartment hunting and you walk into a place and there's nothing wrong with the decor or the smell and it just doesn't feel right. Mm. Yeah. So why doesn't it feel right? Well, if you find out about previous owners, there are people, people who used to live there, you find out who are still alive, mind you, you find out that they were not either nice people or they argued a lot or there was some, some real negativity in, in the household. Or you walk into a place and it feels great because the people loved each other or they loved the place, all of that. That is a haunting. Living people leave that behind. And I think the biggest misconception is that there has to have been a death mm. or something tragic in the world. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's absolutely not the case. Just like I mentioned the Humphrey Bogart and Maltese Falcon. Everybody with that movie, they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> you can watch that movie. Does that mean that they were dead when they made it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's a recording of living person's activity. And we have many instances of people encountering things related to their own activity in their homes, including visuals mm-hmm. of themselves from time to time. Um, one of my v- earliest cases involved a couple moving into a relatively new house. It was only five years plus years old in a new development uh, in Upper Westchester County, New York, where they were being woken up in the middle of the night almost every night. It was every night but one night. Uh, by the sounds of two people having sex really loud in the next room. Oh, no. They had two, um, there were two uh, master suites upstairs, and they figured out that, you know, how to essentially turn it off. You know, basically, they walked in, as long as they crossed the threshold in the other room, they stopped hearing it. Uh, and as it turned out, it related back to, as we found out, related back to a very frisky previous owner's uh, ownership, um, a couple that owned the place that had. Uh, been young. They had been in their early 20s. They made their way into Wall Street and became stockbrokers were doing really well. So they moved into Manhattan. And when I called the guy, um, it was an interesting conversation because it started out when I started saying, well, the co- I'm in, who I am and doing the investigation. He's like, do they want out of the deal? They've been there six months. You know, he started getting a little upset about it. I said, no, no. What, is, what does this time in the morning, mean, middle of the night mean to you and your wife? And he was silent. And then he said, okay, you have to tell me what they're experiencing. (laughs) (laughs) And when I did, he confirmed that every night, you know, after they got married, because they had just gotten married when they bought the house, they were, you know, pretty active. And he said, yeah, I guess we were pretty loud too. That's so funny. They left left a really interesting uh, imprint. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing how often, like you were saying, that that phenomenon gets mistaken for people being stuck somewhere or like you were saying doomed to repeat things yeah. or you know it's 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 amazing and because I, I like i hear that all the time of people experiencing this stuff and it, i'll get asked to a property or something and they'll say you know oh, that person is just you know doomed to repeat it we have a a, a hospital here in in edmonton which is now kind of a, a rehab hospital but uh, the one thing that they see often is what they call their their lady in red and when you date it back to the the incident that happened i mean the the person the is still living but it happens again and again and again and they're seeing this sort of imprint of of what's it, it, what's been going on but the all the residents of the of the center are always saying oh no no it's you know this this woman that's going back and forth and is stuck here and and whatnot but it's yeah it's it's interesting it's a continual instant replay. It's yeah. It really is. Yeah. People don't always question, you know, the fact that they figured out that you found out the person was living. Um, one of the cases I did for sightings, the old show back in the 90s, was up in Portland, Oregon. And they, it was a couple that bought a house where there had been a murder. Um, they knew that, but they got a good deal on the house because of that. Mm-hmm. The guy actually, uh, the husband was in airport securities nearby. So he had he actually been in law enforcement. He didn't care. Well, they didn't tell anybody, any of their relatives. They didn't tell anybody uh, who wasn't local who came to visit them. And other people started seeing uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon, which is when apparently the murder happened, a man knifing a woman 
Jeez. And of course, you know, they knew it couldn't possibly be an actual spirit because the guy who was doing the knifing was in jail. Mm -hmm. He was in prison. So how could they possibly have been seeing him if he was a spirit? Yeah. And most of these instances too seem to seem to revolve around something like emotional imprinting that was that was happening like Like they seem it seems to be these these charged events that that make that impression do you think that that this stuff uh when it comes to to place memory and things like that do you think it's that the that the place memory is is popping in every once in a while or do you think it's like every once in a while we're in just the right frame of mind that we're kind of tuning in yeah, I know what you mean, but I think it's a little bit of both. There's a couple things. Number one, it may have, it does seem to have a timestamp. The fact that the folks were seeing this at the time the event happened seemed to indicate that there was a timestamp. But interestingly enough, when they were on daylight savings time or standard time, it was still four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it was not a physical time, uh, you know, set time. It was connected to our perception of time. Oh. That was so the, the timestamp was kind of a bit of information in the imprint itself. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. That's always something to consider, uh, and that happened actually in that case with the people hearing the people making se- having sex in the other room. Same thing it was the exact same time every night. Didn't matter if it was daylight saving time or Saturday. Heaven's sakes! So that the information of the timing connects to the human perception of time and how we really um, calibrate time in many respects. The other is that um, there seems to be connection to the Earth's magnetic field and to, to geomagnetic fluctuations, and there have been correlations noted where in, in place memory situations that there is a higher than background, unusual, unexpected magnetic electromagnetic field. That's the only reason we're even using EMF meters, by the way. Yeah. Mm. Because EMF <laughs> meters don't do anything with ghosts unless they want to affect Mike and I were just talking about this before we got started here. Mike, do you want to talk a bit about what we were discussing yeah so there's a local group that is it's a really large group that neither morgan and i were aware of before i got a message from a friend who's looking at a haunted perhaps museum in the area and he had contacted this group because he found them through google and all we see are little videos with people with these emf things in their hands and saying well there's something here there's there's a spirit here or something like that and and i was saying to morgan we need to help people to understand what these emf right. meters actually do and what they're actually reading can you tell us a little bit about that from your experience yeah yeah um <laughs> i'm sorry to say that I, i've been told that i was the first person to use the trifield meter and emf meter on tv oh no um, <laughs> it's your fault <laughs> it, you know it's my fault um so it was actually one of my one of my buddies was pretty close in time after that in, down south uh, in the southeast. Um, even though the TV shows did explain that we that we were looking at an environmental correlate, we weren't really looking to, for causal stuff anything at all. So we look in in our field. Uh, we have been and this is going back to Harry Price mm-hmm. in the early twentieth yes. century. century uh, we've been looking to see what happens when people have experiences. When people say that they're seeing a ghost, that they're experiencing a haunting, we're doing poltergeist phenomena. What's going on in the environment? And is there anything in the environment that is consistent or can be connected to what's happening? I mean, the thought is, do ghosts even affect the environment? Is that a possibility? Do the hauntings have any connection that way? So electromagnetic fields is one way that we can actually register the environment. But most of the devices that are out there are devices that that are set to pick up radiation from technology from electronics from electrical devices and that means uh, even the you know the professional ones like the trifield meter which people were using first because it was inexpensive relatively inexpensive and easy to get was never designed for paranormal investigation because you can't really design something for that it was designed to pick up electromagnetic pollution which is still being debated in utility with lawsuits with utilities companies and cancer clusters and all of that it's also being debated. So because they're designed to pick up things from technology, uh, you have to be aware that things well beyond the paranormal, I'm talking about normal stuff, sets them off. Uh, if you have an older building, unshielded wiring sets them off. Definitely. Uh, and the only way to, to avoid that is to turn the power off in the house, which you better find out from the owners if you can do. 
before you do it, <laughs> especially if they have any medical equipment. You don't want to do that. No. Um, so that's one piece of it. Uh, water going through pipes sometimes can generate an electromagnetic field that conceivably could be picked up by the devices as well. Um, you, you held up a phone. Our phones do give off electromagnetic fields. Uh, the K2 meter, which is the most commonly used meter, is terrible. Okay. It'll be set off, yeah. it'll be set off by just about anything. Um, uh, and, and interestingly enough, I, I've done a lot of television over the years. There was one show, one local news show that I was doing a segment for. We went to a place here called the, and the Bay Area called the Pelican Inn, which is actually a, um, a, and several pieces of several pubs from the UK that were brought over and constructed mm. a, a, a authentic English pub, uh, out in Marin County. And there, there is some been activity reported in, not in the pub itself, but in the attached uh, rooms, because you can get rooms for the end if you want to. That's legitimate. So we were there, uh, I was there with a colleague investigating that, and I'm mic'd up. So I have the microphone on my lapel. I've got the mic pack on my left side. So I kept pretty much my left uh, pants pocket. And I'm holding the EMF meter and I'm not getting anything. And I switch hands at one point, and all of a sudden it starts going like this. Hey, uh, right. It's moving. So I put it back in my right hand to grab something. No, nothing. Put it back in my left hand. Yeah. The mic pack. Yeah. And it was actually coming along my arm. The signal was coming along my arm. Wow. Um, so you have to always look for other sources. My very first time using that device, where we did find a correlation after turning the power off between the three spots with the three spots where people were seeing a the imprint of a previous resident. That was really interesting. But the, before we turned the power off, I'm walking down the hallway away from the kitchen and I hear a click in the kitchen and noticed that at the same time, just as the click happened, there was a big spike and then it went back down. They had turned the coffee maker on 30 feet away from me. Mm. Wow. And that sent out an EM, a, a big EM pulse. Yeah. And, and not the kind we think of to delete equipment, but it's something you have to always consider that you may be the source. Uh, and for there's the natural tri-field meters out there or natural meters, which don't register technology. They're built not to do that. And what they do, instead of picking up radiation, they pick up changes in the ambient electromagnetic field because there are EM fields all around us. Of course. And the thing that people forget is that we give off or we interact with mm -hmm. the field. Yeah. So um, one, one of my colleagues... She couldn't get, she's, I don't know, these days, I haven't tried this in a few years, but she could never get within four feet of these devices. Oh, wow. She always disturbed the force, you might say. Yes. And we would get a reading. Um, I would always test before I use the device, which you can't walk around with because it, that in itself causes an, a change. Mm. It's uh, like moving your hand through water, you're causing a change. Yeah, and it makes a horrible noise, too, for people that have not heard this thing. <laughs> yeah, they do make a real terrible noise. Yeah. Um, but I would always check by waving my hand directly over it to see if I'm, am I going to affect it today? Yeah. And everybody with me would have to do the same thing because you, you know, what you don't get from the shows or from, and these groups never get, uh, well, for one thing, they're never reading the instructions. That's one big, big problem, I think. Um, <laughs> RTFM. Yeah. Uh, and the other is they, they're just modeling what they see on TV and what they're told is real, which is not real on these shows. Mm. The shows, are, they have a direction, they have an agenda. It's not the agenda for us to understand the paranormal. The agenda is drama and ratings. That's yeah. the agenda. Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I used to, uh, well, and even still in some of my, my classes, I would have somebody in the audience text me and I'd have my phone in my pocket somewhere or something like that. And then I would, I'd have one of these meters and I would ask ask a question and then have the person text me and that text signal would send the meet set the meter off and of course everybody right. in the audience is going oh my god something's responding and then you know you pull it pull it all out later and say well let let me explain how this is how this is actually happening and this mm -hmm. is why they're able to ask these questions on these shows and always get this these lights going off and I, I don't think people really understand how because they don't understand how some of this stuff works it becomes easier to fool people because it looks technical and it lights up and it's bright and it's, you know, doing its thing. And it's just, you know, it's, it's just not, but yeah. so when people are, 
when people are, if they're going to spend the night on the USS Hornet, because you can, which is right. the coolest thing. I want to uh, do it. I need to do this. I, I want to do it too. <laughs> and so, Lloyd, what would you, what would you recommend for them to have the best experience if, you know, they're not bringing these light up devices and they're, you know, so they don't fool themselves into something. How do you think that they can have the best experience on a ship like this? Well, um, you know, before they started doing paranormal overnights, they've been having, and they still have them with uh, uh, elementary kids, with Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. And part of those uh, from the very beginning involved some one of the volunteers telling ghost stories, not necessarily ghost stories about the Hornet, but, you know, that's what you do. Late at night, right? Mm-hmm. Tell ghost stories, spooky stories. Um, the thing to do for people who are doing an overnight at the Hornet First, they usually take people on a tour, often a flashlight tour, because they know that that's what people expect. Of course. You know, uh, and, but the docents who usually do that and stick around, they have their own experiences and they know the stories of other folks. So I think part of when we do an investigation is interviewing. I mean, we have to get the information. We have to get people's experiences. We have to figure it out because you don't have anything to investigate unless you have an experience to investigate. Mm-hmm. To start. Of course. So... Uh, that's what I would say is that one big piece of it is get as much as you can from the volunteers, not from your fellow um, attendees, uh, about what they've experienced and what other people have experienced. You know, that's the first piece of it. Get a sense of the ship itself as well, you know, because the ship is interesting. I mean, that's one thing I think that, that most people have never been aboard an aircraft carrier. And that was as ex- interesting and exciting to me uh, the first time I went aboard than hearing any of the ghost stories, frankly. So that's another piece of it. And then if they're just going to be there once once all that's done, you know, there's no reason why you can't try EVP and things like that. But the reality is that that's what you really need to do um, is sit and mentally or even out loud say, you know, to say, guys, I'm here, we're here. We would like to see, have some sort of interaction and do yeah. it in a really friendly way, not Put a voice on tape. Say something. You know, don't be Demanding. be friendly. Be, be be that. Be respectful because these apparently are people who served uh, often in, in wartime, even if they didn't die in wartime, but they served aboard this ship or other similar ships. And especially respectful since some of them are officers. And the more you can do that, um, the more likely you might have an experience. And it may not be that you see something uh, that is partly dependent on your openness to have the experience and i'm not talking about consciously it's like a psychic aptitude for that um i have seen have heard and felt things on the order i've never seen an apparition i've never seen an apparition at all myself but i've had experiences that were auditory and sensory otherwise as well so that piece of it just be open to whatever the experience is if it's a sound know that things like the ship makes noise sure I mean, if you're trying to do any EVP on that ship, I think you're going to get a lot of really, you can call them false positives, because when you listen to it afterwards, you're not going to not going to know what the source actually was. And the ship, the source was steel. That yeah. was the source mm. on that ship. And then just, you know, it, and if anyone else has an experience, just talk about it. Don't assume that it was a spirit, that one of one of the guys, but just talk it out and see what else can we possibly do. You know, be an actual investigator for a change uh, instead of just jumping to conclusions for this. But you can still have a lot of fun because there's so many different uh, reports that the docents, the volunteers can tell you about. You, you'll get your ass up for that. Yeah, I, lo- I love these these types of, of scenarios because the one thing I've always found has been one of the biggest keys to any experience that I've had over the years has been exactly what you said, which is to be open and to have fun. Mm-hmm. And I think people forget that. They forget to have fun with this. And I've always found that the more I line up with the joy of being there and enjoying yeah. the experience, that's when the stuff happens, is when you are having fun, when you're sitting there and being stoic and and serious and you're overthinking and you're overfocused and, and you know, you're trying to hammer your experience into a box, it's almost surefire that you're not going to see a thing. Well, you have to think about this again. We'll go back to the idea of ghosts being people, or they were people, living people at one point. And what would be, if you were a ghost, who would you want to interact with? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who was 
interesting and fun to be around or somebody who's yelling at you to dance effectively. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been asked about the whole people ask, what do you think of provoking? I said, well, for one thing, if it was me as a spirit, I would whack you upside the head if I had the problem. Sure. Do that. Of course, then you'd call me a demon because <laughs> I'm punishing you for being the demonic one. Right. Yeah. That kind of behavior to me exemplifies the worst of this whole paranormal world in so many ways. And I know it was done for TV, but the fact is that it, it's one of those things that put yourself in the place of that spirit. You're invading their home, or, or maybe it's not their home anymore, but you're invading their space. And now you're insisting that they prove their existence. Yeah. And I'd say the majority of them probably just going to either leave or stay quiet because why, why would you interact? Yeah. At all. Yeah, I complete. I completely agree. I couldn't agree more. It's it is, and, and it is. It's about you know, be the energy you want to attract. Really, is right. You know, right. what it comes down to. Well, Lloyd, thank you so much for this. This has been an amazing conversation, an amazing discussion. Where are you going? You're always doing something. So, what, <laughs> where are you going to be in the next little bit where people can find you and? Because I've I've always I always keep posting anytime you're teaching at the Ryan I always post it to the the Facebook groups and stuff because to me I think your classes are are some of the absolute best. Where can people find you? Well, speaking of classes, the next round of classes should start at the beginning of October. Um, we're going to have the descriptions up, I believe, no later than than Monday or Tuesday. So oh, John Kruth, the executive director, is putting them up this weekend Excellent. as soon as he works out the actual schedule. Uh, so I'll be teaching two classes. One of them is an advanced field investigations class. So we do have a prereq for that, or uh, I have to do a pre-interview to make sure people are already knowledgeable enough to get into that, that class. The other is actually, of course, I, I really enjoy teaching. It's paranormal case studies, looking at a couple of my cases, but mainly cases from my colleagues and my predecessors. Some really famous cases and important cases in the history of ghost hunting uh, from a parapsychological perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, those are starting, uh, again, towards the, at the very beginning of October. Uh, they're going to be up on the Ride Education Center's website. Um, and then the other thing that I do that people can find me, I'm, I'm actually doing something local here in the Bay Area on October 14th um, at the Community Center in San Ramon, California. It's in the East Bay. I'm doing a, a kind of like Bay Area haunts lecture down there. Um, and then, and people can find out about that through my easiest way is probably my Facebook author page which is just facebook.com slash lloyd.auerbach.author. Keeping in mind, my first name is spelled with one L. That's really important. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, um, simply at Prof Paranormal or at Lloyd Auerbach. Uh, I know, or should, I should say X. I am on threads, Par Prof Paranormal as well. And then um, I do in every other, well, normally every other week, um, Professor Ask Professor Paranormal Q&A. It's a live YouTube session. For people that ask me just about any question they want. And the next one um, is going to be, we had a postpone because of Labor Day weekend, but I'll be doing one on the 10th of September and the 17th of September, and then it'll be two weeks after that. Um, and that is on youtube.com at, so slash, at Ask Professor Paranormal. Cool. Yeah, and they, they're great sessions. Like, they're really good. So I really encourage everybody to go and tune into these because he's he's doing them all the time and they're they're really good, everybody. <laughs> like, if you've got questions about this that we haven't talked about today or whatever, this that is, is such a prime prime place to go and to learn from, like, him and, and all the other questions that get asked because it's, it's really, really neat. So thank you, Lloyd, so much for all of this. You're very welcome. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. Once again, I enjoyed speaking to Lloyd so much. I wish I could talk to that guy every day. I could talk to him for hours. <laughs> I don't know what it is about him, but he's so fascinating and he's so interesting to talk to. I mean, he's written tons of books and uh, this is his passion. So maybe that, you know, shines through and that's what makes him so engaging. But holy smokes, I love talking to him about this stuff. I know, me too. And it, the fact that he's had such first-hand experiences i think i think makes such a big difference as well you know it's, mm -hmm. you, you can sense the passion in everything that he does and his extensive knowledge on this stuff is to me is unmatched in a lot of areas it's really cool so while we were talking to him i was reminded i used to work as a security guard at vancouver hospital and there were some notoriously haunted spots. I've told you about the burn unit ghost that one of yes. my coworkers saw that freaked him out so bad he never came back to work. But one night I was doing my rounds and another of the buildings that was allegedly haunted was this 11-story former nurse's residence. And there was nobody living in the residence at the time. It wasn't abandoned per se because there were business offices that were on the first floor that were in use through the day, but all the residential part was not in use except for the library at the very top of the nurse's residence. And so my job every night was to walk through every floor of this nurse's res to ensure that, you know, there was no trespassers or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I've had numerous experiences there. One night, though, in particular... I remember my first round, I went all the way up to the library, and the lights were on, so I turned them off. I made sure I turned all the lights off, because Makes sense. maybe somebody was in there using the library earlier in the day and forgot to turn the lights off, so I turned the lights off. The second round that I did that night, came back to the library, the lights were on again. Oh... The only person with the keys at that point in time who would have been in that building was me. Wow. I 100% recalled turning off the lights when I left. So then the rounds are essentially do the stairwell down through the rest of the nurses' res. There's a stairwell at each end of the building. And that night in particular was very strange because on a couple of the floors... As I was walking down the hallway from one stairwell to the other, I noticed that the elevator door would open and close. Empty elevator, open and close, with nobody in it. Oh my gosh. That happened on three or four floors, so it's like, whoa. That, yeah. you know, the elevator doesn't move on its own, but here's this empty elevator on three or four floors of this 11-story building that just decided to open open and close, empty, while I was walking by. And it, it was very, very strange. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're not alone in that, because years and years ago, this was, gosh, this was close to the beginning of my career, but uh, I had the opportunity of, of investigating a, a hospital here in Alberta, and mm. it was abandoned as well, basically. Like, there was a security guard in it, like, to watch it, make sure people didn't break in, and things like that. But we, uh, we were allowed in stephanie and myself were allowed in and um we spent a good chunk of the the night at this place and what was so interesting was it was very similar to what you described where there were elevators that didn't even ha shouldn't have even had power to them that were mm. operating mm -hmm. and going up and down opening on different floors so on and so forth and i remember we actually heard a uh a, a scream and it was absolutely blood curdling there's nobody else on that floor yeah and it erupted and we caught it on camera we caught it on audio tape all of it and uh we just i remember the two of us just looking at each other and going what did you just did you seriously just hear that and i have it's it to this weird. day yeah yeah, yeah wow phenomenal yeah the, that nurse's res was notorious for different things i remember uh uh, being trained on that particular route around the hospital and the guy who was training me said, I really don't like to come in here. And I said, why? And he said, well, one evening I came in and he had to open the doors to check 
um, there was like a, an auditorium where people would go for class kind of thing. And uh, he opened the auditorium doors, and the minute he opened them, he felt something sort of on his shoulder, and it was as though someone blew into his ear. Oh. And he oh. turned, and there was nobody there. And he said, yeah, the, that's, that's one of the last times I came in on my own. I have assigned this route to other people ever since then. <laughs> and at that point, did you thank him? <laughs> well, I, don't, I didn't really care. I'm like, okay, I've been in some weird places while uh, sure. I was doing my security job, like the Woodlands Hospital, which was the former Hollywood Sanitarium where all the Acid Al experiments were done on Ooh. Hollywood celebrities with LSD and right. all kinds of weird things. And so that place had some weird energy, but I, I didn't see anything or notice anything weird. I just felt it while I was there. But anyway, what a great story. And I'm glad we had Lloyd on again and we need to have him back. Always. Yeah. <laughs> we just could keep calling on him. I'm sure he'd come. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this eerie expedition. And remember, the line between the natural and the supernatural is often a thin one. Until next time, stay curious, friends. Supernatural Circumstances is a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast Podcast Network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can learn more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and learn more about me, Mike Brown, and listen to my show, Dark Poutine, at darkpoutine.com. Feel free to email the show at supernaturalcircumstances at gmail.com.